Hey, howdy, space nerds. As you know, this podcast is supported by you, the listener. In the last episode, we announced a brand new gift for those that make a donation to this program, our very own mission patch. You can pick one up for yourself by visiting wmfe.org patch. The contribution goes straight to this podcast. All right, on to the show. From the studios at WMFE in Orlando, Florida, this is the Space Exploration Podcast that asks the question, are we there yet? Hi, I'm Brendan Byrne. Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, Richard Branson, Paul Allen. Our next guest calls them the Space Barons. Washington Post reporter Christian Davenport interviewed the four space entrepreneurs for his book, The Space Barons, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, and the Quest to Colonize the Cosmos. I've had the pleasure of working alongside Christian at the press site at the Kennedy Space Center, and I've asked him to join the podcast to talk about just what he learned from these four space entrepreneurs. Christian, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. So this is a, a, a really an inside look at to how these uh, these four space visionaries um, started their companies and uh, some of the struggles along the way. Um, it's a really eye-opening uh, account of, of how these four people uh, came to kind of do stuff like this. Um, when did your reporting start? How did you make these connections? Well, I guess my reporting started, you know, five years ago when I started covering uh, the space industry for the Washington Post. And uh, the more I was covering it, I mean, I just realized there was so much going on. Um, you know, Elon was involved in uh, lawsuits in Washington, D.C., suing the government for the right to to um, compete for national security launches. Then, uh, you know, Jeff Bezos opened up his company and had a handful of reporters out there to see it, and he started flying the new Shepard vehicle. And then Elon started trying to land the Falcon 9 booster uh, down there on the Cape. And, uh, you know, I just kind of came to thinking that you know, there was so much going on, and this was such a pivotal moment that it sort of transcended, you know, the daily journalism uh, in the Washington Post, even sort of bigger takeout pieces, that there was something uh, bigger here uh, that was happening. I wanted to chronicle in a book because I do think that this is a moment uh, in time, you know, these past few years that we're going <clears> to <throat> look back on 20, 30 years from now and, and think this was a, uh, you know, a really important moment in the history of uh, spaceflight. And, and the book opens up with um, both of these um, kind of space giants, Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, uh, talking about the landing of their spacecraft. I mean, that was such a pivotal moment in, in this new space age, right, seeing these boosters land. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, you know, what was so interesting, too, there are so many key moments uh, throughout the book that happened so close to one another. So you had uh, Jeff Bezos land the New Shepard uh, uh, suborbital vehicle for the first time in uh, November, I think it was. And then uh, Elon Musk and, and SpaceX do it. Uh, like the very next month in this dramatic landing, it was their first flight since they had lost that NASA a cargo mission since the Falcon 9 blew up on its way to the International Space Station. So right there in the return to flight, you have their dramatic landing for the first time ever, landing it on land. And, um, you know, that's what I was talking about earlier when there was so much going on. I mean, even before then, you had uh, the mishap with Spaceship Two and Virgin Galactic, where mm -hmm. they had that uh, uh, failure that led to that fatal accident, and that was um, around the time that uh, or then Orbital Sciences, now Orbital ATK, lost their rocket down at the launch pad at Wallops, Virginia. Um, 
And, uh, you know, and then a few months after that, uh, SpaceX had its mishap. So there was so much going on. But I wanted to sort of step out in the book from the day-to-day uh, happenings and look, go a little bit deeper into, you know, these four guys, these billionaires, I call them the space barons, and their interests in space, their plans to get there, and, you know, where their interest in space comes from. I mean, you know, really a deep dive, you know, into them as people because they're such, you know, I mean, these billionaires that have big visionaries that have all these other companies, but I really think to understand them, you need to see them through the lens of space. And what did you find? I mean, talking to these guys, I mean, you've had some pretty close access to to these four visionaries. I mean, what did you learn talking from them over the course of reporting out this book and and just reporting in general for the Washington Post? So I would say, you know, starting with um, Jeff Bezos, because, you know, Elon's out there, right? He's in the media all the time. He's a great marketer. But but Jeff and Blue Origin are much more secretive. They're so quiet. It's very hard uh, to get them to open up. So it was... um, Really great to get in, to go into Blue Origin and to talk to Jeff. And I I think the key is, I mean, you know, Elon gets all the attention, but Jeff is really intensely passionate about space. I mean, he talks about when he was five years old and he watched Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin walk on the moon. Um, You know, he was a huge Star Trek fan growing up. Uh, even in college, he was the head of a you know a SEDS, which was a student uh, kind of space group there. And um, even after college, uh, there's a, a story in the book about how he went uh, when he was working in New York City, and he went to an auction at Sotheby's auction house, and they were auctioning off items from uh, you know the Russian space program uh, from the old Soviet Union. And, and Jeff was bidding on a couple of things because he was so keenly interested in it, and uh, actually ended up getting uh, outbid uh, by Ross Perot, who was a you know billionaire at the time. And uh, you know Jeff hadn't yet uh, founded Amazon and didn't yet have the resources to win against someone like like Ross Perot. But then years later, as you've said, and you've heard him say, Brendan, that, you know, uh, he won this lottery ticket called Amazon, and he's taking his resources and putting it into into Blue Origin, you know, which I think he's just incredibly passionate about. And you see it down there on the Space Coast with what they're doing at LC-36 and then with the uh, that massive manufacturing facility right outside the uh, – the gates of the Kennedy Space Center. It was one thing I noticed. I, I had a chance to to meet with him only once. Um, not as lucky as you, Christian. Um, but uh, he he really is that that passionate about it. And, and he he spoke about watching those launches from Florida, and that's why he chose Florida. Is he had such uh, connected memories to it. Um, so it, it's great to see that the human side of, of these billionaires <laughs> highlighted in your book. Yeah, I mean, another story that I tell in the book, I mean, people don't realize this. It sort of fell under the radar. Um, in 2013, I mean, to get a sense of how passionate he is about it, uh, you know, and, 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 and the lengths he'll go to indulge those passions because now he, he's obviously got the resources to be able to do so. Uh, in 2013, he did a, a, a recovery mission where he hired some of the best underwater deep sea exploration uh, adventurers like in the world. And it was this uh, world-class team and they got this boat and, you know, spent, you know, how, who knows how many, how much money on this effort and went out into the Atlantic Ocean to first find and then recover the F-1 engines that flew on the Saturn V during the Apollo era. This was a huge undertaking. And then they were able to successfully find uh, a few of these engines, including the center engine of Apollo 11. It's crazy. Um, So, I mean, that's, yeah, that just shows you the the lengths at which you know he's he's willing to go to indulge this passion. Now, um, 
when Elon talks about his passion for space exploration, you know, when he's publicly and out front, you know, he talks about, you know, there's a need to make the, you know, the human race uh, multiplanetary. That's kind of, you know, uh, that's his thesis. That's why he does what he does. But, I mean, did, did you find some of those kind of passions within Elon Musk when, when you were talking to him while reporting on this book? Yeah, absolutely. Um, right. As you said, I mean, his, his goal is to make uh, – humans multiplanetary, that we're all, you know, all of humanity is on Earth. Uh, we've evolved here. We have no place else to go. He's looking at sort of a backup hard drive. If all of your files are on one computer and that goes away, or as Elon says, if there's some sort of an extinction event, you know, an asteroid hitting the Earth and then we go the way of the dino- dinosaurs, we should have a backup plan. He also, and, and uh, you know, talks about the just sort of the grand adventure of it and wanting to have something that's inspiring for humanity. And I was one of those people. I don't know how you felt about it, but when, you know, in the weeks leading up to the Falcon Heavy launch uh, with the Tesla Roadster that he put, you know, into space, I was kind of like, what's the what's the point of that? I mean, is that just, you know, a frivolous stunt? You know, is that a responsible use of space? Is that the best thing he could launch on this Falcon Heavy rocket? And then you saw it, you know, going through the blackness of space with the Earth and the pale blue dot behind it. And it was, you know, it was a, it was a kind of an amazing moment. It was an inspirational moment. A lot of people felt that way. And I do, I do think he wants to you know, just kind of make space cool again and get people interested in it uh, in a way that, you know, like our generation just hasn't. Uh, and frankly, under the shuttle era and under, um, you know, with NASA and that maybe this country hasn't really had since the Apollo era. And we went to the to the moon. And I think all of them sort of want to bring that sort of passion and enthusiasm back to, to space. Thinking back to Falcon Heavy, I think you have to give credit to any person who can get a room full of hardened, cynical journalists to hold their breath and cross their fingers for an event to happen. I think it's a pretty impressive uh, feat to do. Yeah, I was watching that thing from the, the press site. I mean, we were there, um, and yeah, I was watching that thing go up, and I know it goes up and then out because right? it was going to achieve orbital velocity, and it was going out over the ocean. But it seemed to me it was right over our heads. And all I kept thinking was Elon kept talking about how this thing was going to blow up. And I was like, I think that stuff's going to come raining down on us. But, you know, <laughs> thankfully it didn't. Yeah, we, we were pretty close. That, that, was, that was quite an exciting day and, and uh, definitely mixed nerves for sure. <laughs> now, I, I want to talk about, um, yeah. you know, you've, you've spoken with both Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos. And, um, you know, there's, there's kind of this thought that there's, um, you know, a new space race brewing between these, these two characters. And, you know, we've seen some of the behind-the-scenes battling between the two of them and some of the Twitter wars um, they've had. I mean, but, but do, you, do they see themselves as competitors? You know, uh, publicly, I think, you know, since the sort of Twitter spat which came out, which was preceded, let's not forget, by several other, you know, moments of tension, points of tension, you know, including a patent dispute over the landing on the uh, the ships at sea, the fight over Launchpad 39A, which SpaceX won, but Blue Origin uh, made a bid for. Um, you know, publicly, I think they'll say, and Jeff has said, for example, that, you know, space is big. I want everyone to succeed. When I talked to Elon about it in my interview for the book, he said, look, if I had a button 
and I could press that button and make Blue Origin go away, I would not press that button. Because I think they realize that they need each other in a way. And it's not just each other. You know, uh, they're sort of competing against each other, sure. SpaceX is competing against Boeing and the commercial crew program, uh, the NASA program to fly astronauts from U.S. soil to the International Space Station. Um, SpaceX is competing against the United Launch Alliance for national security launches. Blue Origin, you know, said it's going to enter that market and will be competing as well, as long as as well as uh, competing for commercial satellite launches. You've got the suborbital tourism market. Blue Origin wants to fly, you know, paying customers to the edge of space. That's something that Virgin Galactic uh, is going to do as well. So that'll be a competition. And I think they realize that's all good. It'll force them to be more efficient, to be more innovative, to hone their skills. When you have a single provider and a monopoly, you know, it's not good. And, you know, frankly, that's what got us to the moon, right? It wasn't just... John F. Kennedy standing standing up and saying, hey, this might be a good idea to go explore the moon. That would be fun. He was doing it because of the Soviet Union, because it was a reaction to Sputnik and the Cold War. And that's what got us to the moon. And I think they're all, they know that, you know, they're, they're smart business guys who have competed against Walmart and, uh, and Detroit and, you know, established companies. And, you know, they know that it's, they need each other and that'll only make them better. No, it wasn't just Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos that you interviewed for this book. You also spoke with uh, Richard Branson and Paul Allen. Um, And I'm wondering if you kind of found, like, a common denominator between the four of them. Like, is is there something within all four of them that that drive them to kind of chase these almost impossible goals um, and still pull them off? Is there there a space explorer's gene that, that they all shared? I think so. I mean, you can see from an earlier age, Elon's a little bit younger and didn't grow up in Apollo. Um, but still, that you know, he had that that gene. Uh, I do think you know, and I talked to Paul Allen about this. He was a huge uh, space fan from a young age and knew all of the names of the Mercury astronauts when he was growing up and read a lot about space and you know. We talk a lot about what he's doing with Stratolaunch, which is that, you know, be the world's largest airplane by uh, wingspan that can air launch rockets once it gets up to cruising altitude. Um, but we forget sometimes that he was behind the Spaceship One Ansari X Prize effort that built the first, um, you know, non governmental, so purely privately backed. Uh, vehicle that went past the edge of space in 2004. Um, but the, the theme, you know, in addition to just their interest in space, what I think links them all together, because they have very different approaches, whether it's suborbital or orbital or the moon or Mars uh, or a space plane, is they all want space to be much more accessible to the masses. They want it to be more reliable, more like a commercial uh, airplane launch, whether it's for people or for satellites. Right now, I think they all are frustrated with the fact that it's so expensive, it's so hard to do, and they just want to make it easier, and they want to make it more reliable, and that's sort of the key first step, that once space becomes more accessible and you can just sort of launch on demand, uh, then that'll open up all kinds of opportunities, all kinds of opportunities for exploration and human spaceflight, but all kinds of business opportunities in terms of 
launching small satellites, doing Earth observation and communications and beaming the Internet back to space, and then these sort of longer-term goals of manufacturing in space, uh, putting up habitats and building your spacecraft and your habitats in space, and then even you know mining asteroids, uh, mining water off the surface of the moon, and those kinds of things. But none of that can happen unless they can get to space much more affordably. And they've changed the industry. I mean, we're focused on these guys, but now the United Launch Alliance is focused on that too and doing it, and their prices have come down. So you've really seen sort of a, a sea change there. Now, since you've you've um, taken over uh, the space and defense beat at the Washington Post and, and working on this book, I mean, there have been some pretty incredible things happening in the space industry um, I mean, forward-looking, what does is, what is the next decade look like in, in this kind of new age of space with these commercial players and these visionaries that are just starting to explode at this point? Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. I was thinking about this the other day, and, like, this year could be really important. This year or next, right, because it always takes a little bit longer. But if there are there is this return to human spaceflight from U.S. soil. So we talked about commercial crew earlier. Boeing and SpaceX are building their spacecraft that would be able to take NASA astronauts to the International Space Station. Uh, Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson, through their companies, want to do the suborbital human spaceflight. But once that happens, and uh, you know, SpaceX and Boeing have even talked about taking paying customers, I wonder if there's this phenomenon within a decade you know, or 15 to 20 years where instead of it's something like a total of 550 people total have ever been to space, that once more people start going to space, it becomes something that begins to become just more of a thing and that you, you know, may know someone or may know someone who knows someone who posts a picture on Facebook, right? And it's like, oh, I was up in space and here are the pictures of the, mm-hmm. the curvature of the earth and, you know, the thin line of the atmosphere and the blackness of space. And people talk about that. Astronauts talk about the just profound effect of seeing the earth from a great distance, you know, the overview effect it's called and seeing, you know, uh, land masses without um, lines on maps, um, and just seeing how fragile the Earth looks and, you know, what's, what kind of effect that might have on society. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Um, but that's one of the things I'm kind of curious to find out. And you've, you've heard, uh, you know, Jeff and Elon and, and Richard Branson also talk about that. So, you know, once you've got, you know, hundreds and then thousands of people going to space, you know, what effect does that have? Now, Christian Davenport, I get this question all the time covering this beat. Um, when that time does come for, for regular humans to go up into space, are, are you going to be one to, to sign up for it? Will you take an assignment on one of these rockets? Yep, I'm, I'm there. you got to come with me. I, uh, I, when I met with uh, Jeff and Richard Branson, I, I, I actually went to the NASA archives and I pulled out the uh, – people forget this. There was a, a NASA journalist in space program mm-hmm. uh, just that they had had a, a teacher in space program, which they canceled after the Challenger uh, disaster. Uh, but there was a journalist in space program. So I, I pulled down the application and, and gave it to Jeff and Richard. So uh, <laughs> I'm signed up. I want you there with me. I think, we'd, I, think, I think we'd have a good time, you and me. All right. I'll see you there, Christian. <laughs> well, Christian Davenport, he is the uh, – space and defense uh, reporter for the Washington Post. He also, his new book, The Space Barons, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, and the Quest to Colonize the Cosmos is out now. It is a phenomenal read. Um, Thank you so much for sharing it with us, Christian, and, and joining us. Thanks so much for having me. 
Support for Are We There Yet comes from the listeners of WMFE. Our theme music was composed by Kevin McLeod. You can join the conversation online. We've got a Facebook page. Search for Are We There Yet Podcast. Or you can take to Twitter. The show is AWTY Mars, and I'm at Space Brendan. You can find more space news online at WMFE.org slash space. Until next time, I'm Brendan Byrne. Thanks for listening. <laughs>